listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. Well, good to be with you all on what has been a really tough week for the state of Victoria and the city of Melbourne. As we have now gone even deeper into lockdown level four, we've had a curfew imposed and multiple workplaces have now shut down. This is, has a social, emotional cost. It's going to have an economic cost. It already is. And this is a time where we need to be praying for our city. And today, in the last installment of our series, The Unveiling, which is looking at the book of Revelation, this is an opportune moment. At moments like this, when we face these kind of crises, Revelation was a book written for a church in crisis. So before I open the scriptures, let's pray. Father, we bring before you our city. We are facing challenges as a city that many of us have never seen in our lives. This is the first curfew that our city has ever been under. We recognize that many of us are tired. There's an emotional cost that is already being experienced and felt after already being in lockdown, opening up a little bit and now going back in even deeper. We think of the economic cost that this is having in our city and our state as many people are experiencing job loss, the reduction of wages. We think, Father, too, of the people who are currently vulnerable, those experiencing coronavirus, those on the front lines. But we hold on to the good news that we see in this book, that you, Jesus, come close, that you offer us a vision of who the church is, of what the future will look like through this book. So we just pray at this moment that we'll feel your presence close to us. We hold up our city. In your name, Jesus. Amen. We're in a series called The Unveiling. This is about the book of Revelation. The title of the book of Revelation in Greek is Apocalypse, which means unveiling. And this is a pulling back of the curtain rather than our understanding of apocalypse, which is often like an end of the world movie. And this pulling back of the curtain has revealed a number of things up to this point on our journey through this book. It has pulled back the curtain and unveiled is Jesus' true nature as we encounter him at the book, uh, the beginning of the book of Revelation as the resurrected Jesus, glorious, risen, who is actually Lord over the entire universe and now is moving history towards his end. Secondly, we've seen the true nature of the church, the church as this bride of Christ. We've also seen our true nature as believers in Jesus, as a royal priesthood. And the beginning of the book of Revelation, as we've been walking through these different letters to seven churches, where those truths then meet the concrete, practical, everyday realities of seven particular churches that existed in the first century, which still speak to us in our context today. And as we land the plane on this series and finish up today, I want to read from perhaps one of the most famous letters that we find to the seven churches, the church in Laodicea. And we're going to look at Revelation 3, 14 to 22. Revelation 3, 14 to 22. But before we do this, 
I just want to just give you some, uh, I guess, context before we go into this around the context that Laodicea, the city, uh, was in. Last week, we looked at the church in Thyatira, which was basically this this, uh, city where the church found herself excluded from participating in the economic life and the social life of that particular city. The guilds which control trade in that city required you to worship other gods, to then be involved in sexual immorality at these guild meetings. And because the church said no to that, the church refused to compromise. The church then found herself unable to often pay the bills, marginalized and isolated economically and socially. So the church in Thyatira was actually a poor church but was congratulated and encouraged by God. Now, the situation in Laodicea is different. Laodicea was a city which was known for three things. The first thing it was known for was the fact that actually it was an economic sort of hub. This was a church which had good, sorry, a city which had good banks and those banks were solvent. Secondly, it was also a place which was known as being stylish. You wanted to wear Laodicean fashion. Thirdly, it was also a city which looked after its citizens with great health care. So this was an excellent place to live. So just remember that as we begin to read this uh, passage. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, this is a shocking and strange sort of turn of phrase. The concept of Jesus spitting a church out of uh, his mouth seems quite strange to us, to contemporary ears. But another thing about the city of Laodicea is that she received, biblical scholars believe, her water source from another city, which was some distance away. This other city actually was renowned for these hot springs, which would deliver this hot spring mineral water. And what the Laodiceans did is there was this aqueduct which then transported water from that other city all the way to Laodicea. But by the time this water had made this journey, it had actually become lukewarm. And not only had it become lukewarm, it had actually become undrinkable to the point where sometimes when people drank of it, they would actually vomit. So for this church hearing this turn of phrase, this lukewarm water, this spitting out of this water, this resonated and this rang home. There was something about this city which seemed stylish and comfortable and secure, yet it was something that repelled you when you actually tasted its true nature. And there's something also about faith here. There's something about a faith Well, if you think about the symbology of the Holy Spirit as water, this is almost water that's getting from a distant source that is received, it's inherited, but it's lost its potency. In fact, it's actually become unpalatable. 
And sometimes individuals or churches can actually receive a faith, inherit a faith, inherit a ministry of the Holy Spirit that then is passed on and is then distanced from the original source. And there's something that becomes unpalatable about that ministry because it's not really connected to the vine. It's not really connected to the source of the holy water. It's just simply going through the motions. I'm going to continue on. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Here, an obvious reference to the financial wealth of this city. But do you not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked? Again, think of that term naked as a reference to the fashion industry and the stylish people of Laodicea and the clothes that they exported throughout the Roman Empire. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. Now here again, first of all, we've got a reference to Gold. Now, this is a rich city, but Jesus is telling them they're actually not rich. This is a city known for their fashion, but Jesus is saying, here, I'm going to give you some proper clothes to wear because you're actually naked. And then look at this last reference, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. This is reference to healthcare, and particularly for the care of the eyes. Jesus goes on, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The issue that Jesus outlines with the church in Laodicea is not that they're believing an errant faith. Last week we looked at a faction within the church which was following someone who Jesus called Jezebel who was promoting false belief. There's not false belief named in the church in Laodicea. This is a church which has orthodox, correct belief. But there's something missing. There's a sense of earnestness, of zeal, of passion for faith, which has departed. In the journey of that water moving over distance, it's become lukewarm. And the sin, the error, the tragedy of the church in Laodicea is that these people believe the right things. They call themselves people of faith. They come to church, they gather, they do good things as the people of God. But this is a faith held without conviction. This is a faith that's actually the result of compromise. Darrell Johnson says this in his book, Discipleship on the Edge. The Laodiceans are not criticized for holding false ideas about Jesus Christ. Their theology was apparently orthodox. It's just that there was no zeal. They had their belief respectfully but without deep conviction, without passion, and without accepting and living their concerted life-transferring consequences. There was something about these people 
that have been made lukewarm, muted, blunted by the context in which they found themselves in. And as you read the different letters and there's just this process we go through where we compare them to our own cities and our own context, I think this particular city and this particular context has so many parallels to the contemporary Western church. The contemporary Western church, which often finds itself believing the right things in many places, but actually in comparison to often what we find outside of the West, there is a lack of zeal. There is a lack of conviction. There's holding to the right beliefs and being able to tick the right doctrinal statements. But what's there is a lukewarmness because this is a faith which is perhaps received from parents, which is perhaps experienced socially, which is gained through being part of a group, a bunch of mates who grew up at church together. There's something vital and dynamic missing in the church in Laodicea. And so much of the Western church finds itself also missing that dynamic component. And when I read the church in Laodicea, as a Melbourneian, I can't help but see similarities to the context in which I've grown up in. A city which regularly, as we like to say as Melburnians, is regularly named the world's most liberal city. A city which has had continual economic growth, missed the recession since the very early 90s, dodged the bullet in the GFC. A city which is known for her style and her design and her fashion. And that's almost how we define ourselves against the rest of the country. A city in which we can stand here and particularly at the beginning of this crisis of the pandemic, actually look and be proud of our healthcare system in contrast to other countries. And resultantly, people, when you talk to them who do ministry, and live as Christians in this city, also understand whilst this is a wonderful, incredible place to live, where on every seemingly like weekend there's a world-class sporting event, incredible parks to walk through, nature reserves to go to, some festival somewhere, some brilliant coffee shop, some little gig somewhere, some pottery being made somewhere in the state of Victoria that you can visit, that this is also a place which actually engenders lukewarmness of faith. That's just in the waters. And there's heaps of good Christian people in Melbourne and churches and ministries. And there was a period in Melbourne's history, particularly at the beginning, at the beginning around Federation, when there was a mighty move of God in this city. That after this city became one of the richest places in the world because of the discovery in the Victorian goldfields and the global rush for gold moved from California to Victoria that we had more money than we knew what to do with. We were like a Dubai of the beginning of the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century. And people prayed because they were concerned about this city. And a week after Federation, the Royal Exhibition Building was filled with people praying for this city. And so many of the ministries and churches and organizations and grandparents and great-grandparents who actually we can directly link ourselves back to 
actually came in those moments. But there's been this sense at times in Melbourne that just like the aqueduct, which is carrying that water over a long distance, and as is not a geographical distance, it's actually a distance in time back to that moment and moves of the spirit, that sometimes that water has actually become not only lukewarm, but tepid and unpalatable. And so preaching today as our life has now not become the Melbourne life that we know and love, which is now centered around daily press briefings from our Premier, a city which was looking good in terms of response to COVID, but now finds itself locked down, unable to go more than five kilometers beyond our houses, actually having a curfew, only able to go outside for an hour a day as the first responders at our church are now working longer hours. And there's this sense of fear as we respond in this moment. Melbourne has shifted. There was an article, I think it was in The Guardian this week, and it was almost this lament as this writer was saying, this is not the Melbourne that she knows in winter, the sense of grief that has overtaken our city. And no longer are we necessarily looking overseas at what's happening with this pandemic. There's this sense of our focus is so local now. And what does it mean to be the church in Melbourne at this time? Why was Laodicea lukewarm? Laodicea was lukewarm because she missed a vital component of kingdom living. I just want to repeat verse 17 from that passage. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and don't need a thing. Is that not Melbourne right there? What do we need? You've got it all, coffee shops on every corner, galleries, things to do, the city which seemingly offers us everything. We've got everything but God. Jesus continues, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. And what Jesus is saying here is the Laodiceans, you think that you're wealthy, you think you're well-dressed, you think you've got great medical care, but actually from a kingdom perspective, from an eternal lens, you've actually got none of those things. That actually in the upside-down kingdom, you're actually poor. You're spiritually poor. You think you dress fine as you walk around the streets, but you're actually naked and shameful. And lastly, you think that you're, you're actually going to be fine and, and you, know, you can be looked after by your city and healthcare, which is actually really about the trying to beat of death, that actually you have none of the things that you think that you have. And I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. This is a different kind of wealth. This is a wealth which comes from walking through suffering and difficulty. And so in our city, which we proudly call the world's most liberal city, in a sense it's in a fight for its life at this point in time. And we need to actually at a moment like this take stock And as the church, hear the message that we see in 
this letter. And we need to begin to walk towards the invitation of a different way. Now, what's so interesting is when we read on in this passage, here is Jesus saying to this church in Laodicea, you think you're wealthy, you're not. You think you're well-dressed, you're not. You think you're going to be cared for, you're not. By your city. So what's Jesus' thing here? There's this warning about spitting out, but that's actually more about the actual sort of faith that the Laodiceans were delivering. What is Jesus' response at this moment? Jesus' response to a lukewarm church is actually to draw close. I just want to read the second part of that verse again. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Turn around. But this is what I love. Here I am. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Jesus' answer is that he's actually outside our houses knocking. When everything goes quiet and all the distractions die down and this life that we're living now at the moment, that there is a quiet, small sound to be heard. A gentle knocking, hard to be registered through prideful ears. But those who are being refined in the fire, who recognize that moment of humility, how much they actually need God, that actually their earthly, valuable, material things cannot save them, that their sense of style and cynicism cannot save them, that actually healthcare and government and this safe bubble that we thought Melbourne was actually can't save us. There's someone knocking at the door. There's someone knocking at the door. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. You have to see that. This is not just a little drop by visit. Oh, you got something on the stove. Let's eat it. This is, has to be seen through the Middle Eastern worldview and framework of hospitality. That when you actually sit down and break bread with someone, you are entering into a covenantal relationship with them. This is Jesus not only coming close, but this is Jesus, as we talked about last week, coming and wanting to make home in your home. And so we find ourselves at this moment where we're restricted to our homes. But it's precisely this moment that Jesus wants to enter into your home. That the great message of revelations is Jesus coming to us, the risen Lord, eyes blazing with glory, comes and he comes to make things right and he comes to deal with all that is bad in the world. And sometimes that bad is in us, sometimes that's bad in our churches, but he's coming to deal with it. But his answer is, I knock and I just want to come in and I want to make home where you are at home and I want to eat with you and be with you. And I want, to inter- I want to invite you into this new way of living, this kingdom reality. What does this kingdom reality look like? 
Firstly, I just want to just give you three things. I'm actually going to do them in the form of a triangle. Is it a hexagon? I don't know. We'll call it a triangle. And the first most important one is that God comes and brings his presence to you. The knocking on the door of your house is Jesus saying, I want to come and be present with you. In the moments of suffering, that he is there. That the moments of restriction and reduction, he is there. That he is the singular most important thing in the world. And that he died on a cross and bled out so you could live and so he could live with you. And so the first most important thing in understanding how then do we live is that God's presence is central. And in this season, what I believe God wants us to discover is him and his presence. And what is brilliant is, is that's not a presence which we've got to do things to earn and we've got to climb ladders to get to. That's actually the way of Babel. Babel tries to build Babylon, all the cities of humanity, try and build towers through human striving to actually find their way to God. But the story of Revelation is of the loving God who descends to us, knocks at the door. I want to eat with you because he loves you. And this sense of the presence of God is absolutely central. The whole imagery of the book of Revelation ends with this wonderful image of this new heavens and this new earth. And in this new heavens and this new earth, this new Jerusalem descends from the sky. And in this Jerusalem, there is no temple. This new Jerusalem, there's no temple. The temple symbolized the presence, the embassy of where God's glory dwelt. Why is there no temple in God's descending city of the New Jerusalem? Because everywhere the presence of God can go. The curtain was ripped from the top to the bottom as the story of Jesus' crucifixion. His presence is ready and available and inviting you into a new kind of life. His presence, God's presence. That's point number one. The second thing is to live this life. Once we understand that God's presence is near and close, that he's wanting to sup with us, he's wanting to dine with us, he's wanting to dwell with us, to walk with us, that that actually is like this organizing principle of the universe, then it changes how we must relate and be in the world. What this means is when we understand God's presence, we then can be truly present in creation. I've mentioned a couple of times as I've been preaching during the pandemic. I had a bunch of places that I was meant to be in the world this year. I'm not, I'm not even leaving. Now I can't even leave five kilometers uh, beyond my life, like many of yours, is just walking. And I have an early morning walk and I discovered a park at the end of my street, which is like just a few blocks that someone gifted to the council. And it's now like this heritage sort of bushland in a built up area. And you can walk in there and one minute you're on a road and then you go inside. And it took several weeks 
where I was like wrestling with what was happening at the beginning of the pandemic. And there's a little bench I would sit on surrounded by Australian bush, the sun coming in horizontally, the birds singing in the chill of the early morning air. And for weeks, God, what are you saying? What's the next thing? How do I strategize for red? What am I meant to do next? And over weeks and weeks and weeks, I finally felt God saying, Mark, just be in my presence. And by being in my presence, I'm calling you to be present in creation. I'm starting to realize how much of my life and my focus was elsewhere on the next thing that I wanted to do, where I was going to go next, something happening in the world over here, that next thing I could buy, that next experience I could have, this worry about these people over here, I've begun to realize the more I focused upon God's presence, how little I was often present. So much of the story of our city of 21st century Western culture is increasingly a story that we're solved of an unreality where we're rarely present, scrolling through a phone, something always distracting us, and rarely are we ever present in creation. And when we understand God's presence, that he dwells with us, kingdom life is being invited into a different kind of moment. When you stop and realize where you are, what you're doing, what the sounds around you are, what the Holy Spirit is doing in that moment, then you are switched on to a different kind of kingdom living. And once you understand that you are a human being in God's creation, that he's moving his purposes, that that creation will be transformed at the end of the age, that's the story of Revelation, then actually we can then not only become present in creation, we can become present to others. In 1970, Alvin Toffler wrote a book called Future Shock, and it was a prediction of where the world would go. And he wrote this line. He said, there's a short line, I'm paraphrasing. There's a, he said, there's a short distance between the disposable plastic cup, which was just coming in, I guess, in 1970, and the disposable relationship. And 21st century life has been accruing, accruing, accruing different relationships, moving on, commitment phobia, fear of missing out. Don't like that person, move on to the next one. And actually there's this sense where at the moment we are restricted to a small group of people. Maybe it's just you. Maybe it's a family and maybe the kids are driving you nuts. Maybe it's a share house and like it was really like when you used to go and do things all the different time. Now you're stuck in a house together. Now just one of you can go shopping. This is an invitation to be present to other people. Other people who represent God's image. We are having a crash course in living in reality. But it's precisely in reality where we live. And it's precisely reality that God wants to transform as we understand that his presence is breaking out in the world and that we actually are carriers of his presence. You are the new temple, present to others, present in creation, an agent of his Holy Spirit in the world. This is kingdom living. And lastly, we've had presence, we've had present in creation, and lastly, presenting all to him.
when we live this kingdom life, when we step into what Revelation is inviting us into, when we open the door to Jesus, God's presence fills everywhere. We are present where we are. And what we do then is what Romans 12 invites us into, which is living the whole of our lives as a living sacrifice, as an act of worship. Whatever comes our way, whether it's good, we thank God for it. Whether it's bad, we still praise God in the midst of that. When we present everything to God, if we get something, placing it on the altar before him, when we get something, handing it over to God, when fear comes, like it is coming at the moment with the news we've just even had this week around job industry cutbacks and reductions in work, all of this we give back to God because he wants to carry it. This is the sacrifices that we offer in his living temple. And at this moment, as we enter into this new lockdown, we give it all to him. That is what we are called to do. I believe at this moment, there is a profound opportunity before us in the city of Melbourne. We have been so restricted in what we can do It's ridiculous. We never thought this would ever happen. But the opportunity in the midst of this, this narrowing down, is to narrow down to the knocking that we hear. This one opportunity to truly be present to those you're around, to truly be present in creation, to understand that God's presence is with you. And this is an invitation into a moment of transformation, which is bigger than just for you that's actually bigger than Red Church, that's actually about the future of the church in Melbourne and what God wants to do in this time and place. This is a crisis, but the unveiling also unveils and reveals an opportunity at this moment for us to not be like the church in Laodicea, to not be lukewarm, but actually to rediscover a zeal and an earnestness as we take from Jesus the gold that is refined in fire. Jesus, we come before you. We know our city is hurting at this point in time. We know many people are struggling. Father, we know that at times we've been those lukewarm Christians of Laodicea. That what's been missing from us has actually been zeal, earnestness for you. We understand that there is a siren's song sung in our city of this enviable life. That there's destruction, that there's so many things that entertain us, that there's so many opportunities before us. But at this moment of restrictions, may we actually discover what is hidden deep in the ground. Father, I know that so much of this city uh, since really the end of the 19th century was built because gold was discovered in the ground. And Father, I just wanted to speak prophetically at this moment and actually just name that I actually think there are jewels and gold to be found through this experience as actually we discover in the ground zeal and earnestness for you. Father, give us passion. Give us a new sense of your presence Give us the ability to actually be present where we are, not always looking for distractions, 
actually be present with the people that were around. Father, may we hear the knocking that is at the door. And may this transform us, our church, our churches, and our city. We pray in Jesus' name. May your Holy Spirit fill us now.